Today's first scripture reading comes from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 19, and can be found on page 753 of the Church Bibles. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Colossians verses 1 chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and can be found on page 1,182 of the Church Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephorus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us to lo- of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Well, good to see you all again. Over the next months, we're going to have a bit of a sporadic preaching schedule. So in the coming months, I'm going to be preaching four times here in the morning service. I'll preach this week and next week, and then two times in June as well. In between this, we're going to have plenty of great guest preachers and teachers coming in, 
And our new senior pastor, Mark, is going to be teaching and preaching at the retreat coming up, which is really exciting. We'll get to know him a bit more there. Now, with the four sermons that I will be doing, I want us to take time to dig into the book of Colossians. We will not nearly cover everything in the book, and it might be a bit funky with it spread out into two chunks, but I'm excited to see how God will use his words in Colossians to grow us closer to him. Now, before we get into the meat of the book, I want to give a quick introduction to the book of Colossians, just give a bit of context on the book. Paul and Timothy are the authors, most likely with Paul, for the most part, dictating the book, while um, Timothy was most likely the scribe of most of the book, except for the very ending. At this time, Paul is in prison, following what happens in Acts chapters 27 and 28, which you can read if you're interested. The book of Colossians is a letter to the church in the small city of Colossae. Most of the people of Colossae, the Colossians, would have worshipped the main Roman deities or gods, but there was also most likely a, a pretty big Jewish presence there as well. The church that Paul writes to um, in Colossae was most likely a majority Gentile Christians, but there may have been some Jewish Christians too. Paul has probably not been to Colossae before, but there is a believer there with Paul named Epaphras who started the Colossian church and who most likely was telling him about the different circumstances that were going on there in Colossae. Judging by the letter and the topics covered, it seems like the church in Colossae may have been buying into some local and Jewish uh, mysticism or pagan practices, letting themselves wander away from God in these different ways. Paul will warn them against these practices, such as following really strict subjective rules, uh, worshiping angels and other beings they thought could connect them with God, and also just getting too caught up in spirituality that is not of God. Paul takes much of the letter to focus on who Christ is, how Christ is supreme, and what truly being alive and full of Christ means. There's a lot to unpack, so let's pray as we get started. Lord, thank you for your words to us in the Bible. Holy Spirit, please speak to each and every one of us here. Um, yeah, open up our eyes to, to what you want us to learn from you today, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are going to dive in with verses 3 through the beginning of verse 6. And we'll spend a majority of our time today in these first few verses. So feel free to follow along in your bulletin or your Bible if that helps you as well. I'll read again starting with verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now, basically, Paul says in these verses that they thank God because the Colossians have faith in Jesus and they have love for their Christian brothers and sisters and that this faith and love comes from or springs from or is because of the hope they have in heaven. And so for us, this leaves us with two main questions to answer. Firstly, what is the hope that the Colossians and that us Christians have stored up in heaven? And secondly, how does this hope strengthen the Colossians? And for us today, 
How does it strengthen the Colossians? And how does it strengthen our faith in God and love for others? How does this hope in heaven change how we live our daily lives today? Firstly, let's answer that first question. Let's talk about our hope in heaven. What is our hope? Our Old Testament passage that Lydia read earlier from Isaiah 65 speaks of this hope that we have to come. I'll read it again. God says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Now, most of the people Paul is writing to, as I said earlier, were probably not Jewish, and so most likely their knowledge of the Jewish scriptures would not have been near as well as as Jewish Christians. But since Paul brings it up, I'm, I'm guessing they have been taught at least somewhat what their future hope was and what the Bible said that their future hope of heaven was. I mean, looking at this passage, it really just oozes hope. It's hard to read this passage without feeling hopeful. God will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things, evil things, will all be gone. There will be gladness and rejoicing forever. God's people will be a joy. There's no more weeping or crying. Eternity with God will be perfect. And around 30 years later from the writing of this book, the Holy Spirit will inspire John to write the book of Revelation, where God gives us an even fuller picture of what we have to look forward to in eternity. Even more so, building on this passage, what this passage tells us, our hope of heaven is also just being in Jesus' presence forever. Our hope of heaven is that we will finally be united with Christ, will be directly in his presence as Adam and Eve were in his presence in the garden. We'll be with him for eternity, and he will be with us us. The reality of life is that we as humans were made for this. We were made to be in God's presence. This is the best possible thing for us. Growing up, I had no hope of heaven. I believed in God, and I believed in heaven, definitely, but I was actually very terrified of heaven. In my head, heaven was floating in clouds, playing a harp, singing choir hymns for billions and billions of years. And maybe for some of you that sounds great, but for me that did not sound great. I imagined being a floating baby with blonde hair, like heaven is always depicted in old portraits. I literally thought that was heaven. And I was terrified. It sounded like a complete nightmare to me. And I remember saying to God, if that is what heaven is, I would rather just stop existing when I die. Thankfully, that is not the picture of heaven that is given to us in the Bible at all. It gives us the picture of us living in God's perfect presence, worshiping him through our lives and having that perfect relationship with him. God knows what is good, and so heaven, or really as the Bible says, the new heavens and the new earth, will be better than anything that we can imagine. We don't need to fear it. God made us, and he knows what is good. Now, one final point on this. In honor of Dennis being gone, I'm going to give a Dennisism for us. If you want to learn more about what eternity will be like, if you want a little bit of a fuller picture of it, after the service today, this will be a two or a three or a four cup of coffee situation. Grab your cups of coffee, sit down, and read Genesis 1 through 3, and then read Revelation 21 and 22. And then think about these passages and pray about them. 
Look at how God created the universe and humanity and how he made it to be. And then look at how he will once again restore his creation and recreate his creation. I think this will give you a good perspective on, on the future and on life in general. For me, once I understood more about heaven, it completely changed my perspective on eternity as well as on my life right now. So now that we know what our hope in heaven is, that brings us to our second question to answer. Let's read verses 5 through 6 again just to refresh ourselves. Paul says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So again, it says the Colossians' faith and love sprang or came from or is because of their hope in heaven. So our second question to answer is, how does this hope of heaven strengthen our faith and love as it seemed to for the Colossians, and how does it change how we live today? Now for the Colossians, as it is for us today, they may have been tempted to worship other gods who promised them things. In the Roman world, there were gods who were said to give you power or a good harvest or fertility or wealth. And everyone around the Colossian Christians would have probably been worshiping these gods. They probably would have thought the Christians actually crazy for not worshiping these gods. Why would you not worship a god that would give you wealth or would give you lots of crops? In comparison with that, Jesus doesn't necessarily promise us an easy life. He doesn't promise earthly prosperity in the same way that the Roman gods did. God does say he will provide for us, and he does say he will bless us, but this is not necessarily in the same ways that the, that the world understands provision or blessing. Actually, compared to following these other gods, what Jesus has to say about following him can sound pretty brutal. I'll read for us this passage in Matthew 16. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so, when you hear that if you worship a Roman god, you'll get power, and when you worship Jesus, you're expected to take up your cross, your execution device, and you should lose your life for Christ, there might be some temptation to worship that false Roman god. There's that temptation for momentary pleasure, the temptation for the good life now, even if you know that it's wrong. But I want to talk mainly about two things here. Firstly, the provision and blessing that God gives in this world is true provision and blessing. The promises that the world makes to us and that the gods of the world make to us are lies. They cannot fulfill us. What God gives us in this life brings us true joy and satisfaction, and it can't be found in anything else. God is the one who can bring us fulfillment and joy, no matter what circumstances that we're in. The gods of this world will always leave us empty, always leave us with a craving for more, will never be full. In our world today, we're constantly tempted by the gods of our modern world, the gods of power or wealth or pleasure or comfort or other religions or other ways of life. We're told if we're rich, maybe we'll be fulfilled 
or if we follow a strict moral code or have very specific beliefs, maybe we'll be happy. If we have honor and people think highly of us, maybe we'll be good. The addictions of social media and pornography and laziness and comfort are calling to each and every person every day, promising us pleasure, promising us fulfillment. I remember as a kid, I saw this toy boat at the store, and I really wanted to buy this toy boat because on the cover of the packaging was a boy my age playing with the boat with a huge smile on his face. <laughs> this kid was having the time of his life playing with this boat. And my parents, because they were kind, uh, eventually bought me the boat for my birthday or Christmas or something. And I opened it and I started playing with it, but I was immediately disappointed. I literally thought I would have this rush of intense joy and euphoria playing with this boat, like the kid on the package. But I didn't, and I was so disappointed. Maybe this more so just shows how not smart of a kid I was, but what the toy advertised, it could not fulfill at all. It left me dry, and this experience is burned into my memory. The first time I realized that, oh, advertisements are lying to me. Wow. But in the same way as that, the gods of this world cannot fulfill what they advertise to us. They advertise joy, fulfillment, happiness, and life, but they're not going to bring these things to us. They bring emptiness and craving for more. God alone is the one who can bring fulfillment. He's the one who can offer us the living water. God brings joy and nothing else. And so when, in our daily lives, we are tempted to turn to other things than God, let's remember who our God is and that he is the one who fulfills. Other things cannot. And again, we were created by God to be fulfilled by him. That's the way that we work. It's the way God made us to be. Moving to our second point, when things are hard in life, when there is that temptation to turn to the gods of this world, that I'm sure the Colossians had at times and that we have, knowing the hope we have in heaven can give us strength. Knowing we have promised perfect eternity with God, no matter how bad the circumstances get, is powerful. Knowing we'll be next to Jesus, living in his glorious kingdom, God can strengthen our faith in him through this, and he can strengthen our love for others through this. And here I think it's helpful to put ourselves into an eternal context. So imagine in your head, everyone imagine in your heads, your life timeline. So it goes up to however old you are. So four years old, 10 years old, 20, 50, 80. Imagine the timeline in your head and say it's about this big. It's in your head, it's about this big. And then in your imagination, zoom out. Zoom out to eternity. And now imagine how small that timeline that was this big, now compared to eternity, it's tiny, right? It's like a speck of sand, not even a speck of sand, right? It, it, it's almost nothing. You can't see it. As Christians, we need to have an eternal mindset, a mindset like the Colossians seem to have. This can completely change how we perceive and live our daily lives. Like the Colossians, if we know our troubles are temporary and eternity with God awaits, our faith and our perseverance of our faith is going to be strengthened. Our pers perseverance to continue to worship and praise God, no matter what happens, can grow. We will understand better how our troubles are short-lived in the light of eternity, and we'll understand better the blessing that God has given us 
in eternity. On the other hand, just like the Colossians, when we know we have eternity with God, our love and sacrifice for those around us can also grow. Spending time listening to a friend or helping someone in need or or loving your neighbor by going to the hospital with them, for example. These small sacrifices to our comfort in the moment are nothing when we remember we have eternity to come with God. Loving and serving others can become more joyful because we know that even though we may put ourselves through temporary discomfort to serve others, being with God awaits us in the future. Actually, the more that we focus and meditate on the reward we have in heaven, which is being in God's presence forever, the more free we will be here to use what God has given us to love him and love others. The more free we'll be to use our energy and our time and our brains and our our wealth to give to God rather than to ourselves. And so having this eternal mindset, I think, can be helpful to free us of our own selfish desires and to to be tempted to worship the false gods of our world. So when we do feel the temptation to worship something other than God, let's remember, firstly, that that false thing is a lie. It's not going to bring you joy, no matter what it advertises to you. The gods of this world are like that toy boat. They won't satisfy. They're false advertisers, right? Only God can satisfy us. Secondly, when we're tempted, let's remember what God has promised us in eternity. Remember your treasure in heaven, being with God forever. Let this knowledge strengthen your faith in God and the love you have for your brothers and your sisters. We should be a people of God who remind ourselves of eternity each and every day. Remembering this context can help us to live rightly in our world. To end this topic, I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis, which Many of you have probably heard many times, and I've probably said it before up here, but it's just so good, I can't pass it up. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis' point is that so often we're satisfied worshiping and living for these false gods, these false advertisers that bring us nothing, while God is sitting there offering us everything, eternal joy with him. Like a kid who who doesn't want to go on a, a, a holiday at sea because he's busy playing in the mud, we often lose ourselves, are content with these tiny pleasures the world offers us, forgetting about the big picture. Let's remember the hope we have in heaven, and let's let God use that hope to grow our faith and love in him. Now we'll move on to the next verses. For the sake of time, we won't talk much about verses 6 through 8. These verses are pretty clear. It's been about 30 years since Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, and the news of Jesus has been spreading. Churches are springing up all over. This is the beginning of the church, which has led to us meeting here in Zurich 2,000 years later. Amazing, right? Now we'll continue on with verses 9 through 14, which we'll spend our last few minutes on. Let's read starting with verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So starting with verse 9, Paul tells us that they're praying for the Colossians that they will know God's will through the wisdom and understanding given by the Spirit. So we can infer that generally speaking, we need God to help us to follow him. To know and God, follow God's will, we need the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom that we need. And so how does the Spirit give this to us? Firstly, the Spirit gives us his, his wisdom and understanding through God's words in the Bible. The authors of the Bible were inspired by the Spirit. Thus, the Bible is the first and sure way for us to have wisdom and understanding to follow God's will. Secondly, we can just directly ask God, and we should just directly ask God for wisdom and understanding. And he can speak to us or lead us in other ways and by other means. But I really want to emphasize the importance that we remember that our standard of living is God's words to us in the Bible. We know these are God's words that he has already spoken. Without these words to us in the Bible, we can be pretty lost, right? We can be like the Colossians who started worshiping other angels and who started having other strict regulations and things like that. Whatever wisdom or understanding that the Spirit gives you by other means will always align with the words he has already spoken to us in his words in the Bible. God will not and cannot contradict himself. So it's vital that when we think God is telling us something, that we confirm, what is, confirm it by what is said and by what we know of God in the Bible. Now moving on back to verses 9 and 10, Paul prays for the Colossians to know God's will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that, he says, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So knowing God's will through the Spirit allows us to live life for God in the correct and proper way. And Paul goes on to describe this way of life in verses 10 through 12. He says, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, so glorifying God through our good works, growing in the knowledge of God, learning more about God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, so being strengthened in God by God's power, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, so being thankful and being joyful in life. These are all ways that we can live to please our God. Lastly, this takes us to verses 12 through 14, where Paul will bring us back to the thought of heaven that he started with. He says, And giving th joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here, Paul brings us back to the topic of the hope of heaven, and he adds into it the idea of thankfulness. God himself has qualified us to be in his kingdom. God alone has rescued us from death, from the dominion of darkness, and has brought us into his kingdom through Jesus. Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven, and he will be back. In his death and his resurrection, he has redeemed us. He has brought us forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is our only hope. In him alone is there salvation. Being a part of this kingdom is something that starts now, as the passage says, that we have been brought into as Christians already, and it's something that will span into eternity. Being in this kingdom in the presence of God is the hope of heaven. And the thankfulness that he mentions here, the thankfulness to Jesus, to God, for bringing us into his kingdom should strengthen, should continue to strengthen our faith in him and our love for others. So now to conclude, there's nothing any of us deserve to be, can do to deserve to be in the kingdom of God, to have this hope of heaven. Jesus gives it to us. It is a gift to us. And so again, now that we have this hope of heaven, now that we know we are in God's kingdom, not by our own works, but by God's grace, this understanding should help us to live for God today. This thankfulness for God's grace and the joy for the future helps us today to be strengthened in faith, in God, and in love for other people around us. This hope helps us to live for God in the way that the Spirit guides us through the Bible and through other means. We've been brought into God's kingdom by the payment of Jesus' blood, so let's live like we are in his kingdom today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words to us in Colossians. Thank you that we have the hope of a new heavens and a new earth and that we will get to be with you in eternity, God. Let us remember the hope that you've given us and let us live joyfully for you today. Don't let us turn to false idols or false ways of this world, but let us turn to you alone, Jesus. In your name, amen.